0: Well, what a special day and a special Sunday it is. It's Mother's Day, and ladies, we're just so grateful for you. I mean that with the greatest of sincerity. We love you, are so grateful for you. Um, Yeah. There are so many ways that we could show our appreciation for you on this day. And uh, here's kind of a couple that we had come up with. Uh, We could do a a wash and clean your car during a service thing. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Uh, We could have provided you with a free monthly bouquet of flowers for the year thing. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Um, Free childcare for a week. (laughs) (laughs) That was the big one. That's what I thought. (laughs) Uh, I I hear at this time post Easter, there's a, Uh, A serious sale on uh, Dove solid chocolate bunnies. We we could have done that. Um, Could have been a possibility. We, we, you know, considered various things we could do, but we really decided we're going to do what we do every Sunday here, and that is bring glory to the Lord by worshiping Christ together, by walking with Christ together, and by working for Christ together. Those are our three W's. And part of that includes what obviously has been going on today already, but part of that certainly includes opening God's Word together and uh, learning what God has to say about himself and about ourselves, and to do that in a way where we're expecting, where we're expecting to be encouraged from God's Word, we're expecting to be challenged from God's Word, and ultimately we're expecting to be changed by God's Word, right? Right? I mean, that's that's what we are uh, doing here as part of what we do here on Sundays. So with that, I'm going to invite you to actually turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you're using one of the Bibles in the book holders on the back of the seats, it's on uh, page 812, Matthew chapter 7. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, We dig into God's word, wanting to know what God has to say. We want to know what God has to say, not what Doug has to say, not what Doug wishes scripture might say. It's also, we don't go into God's word uh, wanting it to say what even someone else has said it said, or what you say it says. We want to go into God's word to knowing what God has to say. And so every time we go into God's word, there should be kind of a freshness within us. I mean, we've been in passages before, but it's like we get to go back again and see God and his word again. And there should always be a freshness in that and an idea that I want to align my thinking with God's thinking and my living with God's call for us on how to live. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to be. And we're going to go to Matthew 7. We'll come back to Colossians 3 where we're at in our present series through the book of Colossians. But I want to take us to Matthew chapter 7 for a reason. Because sometimes when we we read scripture, we read it and we kind of go, I don't know if I get that. I just don't know if I get that. Here's another thing that sometimes happens. We read scripture and we go, I don't think I like that. I mean, I just plain don't think I like that. And so with that, um, we're probably going to have that happen today. We are probably going to have that happen for the next three Sundays, uh, frankly, in various ways with that. So when things come up like, what do I do with that? What's up with that? What do we do with that thought? Uh, Three things. How many? Number one, we acknowledge it. I don't get that. I just don't get that. The other along with that is we just go, I don't think I like that. We just acknowledge it straight up. And then secondly, out of that, we go, I don't get that. I don't know if I like that. I need to understand what scripture therefore has to say. And so we go and we seek what scripture has to say on a whole. We're driven to understand. And yet knowing within that, there are some things that I may want to know and you may want to know, but we may never know. Deuteronomy 29, 29, secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us. And God has given us what we need for life and godliness. God has not promised us that we know everything we want to know. So we acknowledge it. That drives us to scripture. And third, we ultimately end up yielding to what God says. Hopefully we come to understand it better. Uh, But even if it's kind of like I don't understand it or I don't like it and yet God calls me to think that or be that, uh, I need to be about that in faith because that's what God calls me to be, calls me to think. Well, as I've mentioned, the the section in Colossians 3 we're going to go to here in in a couple minutes, it, it does what I would call Paul narrows in. He narrows in. If you really think about everything we've covered from verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way through verse 17 of chapter 3 we've covered so far, Paul is speaking quite broadly. He's speaking to all believers. And he's talking to followers of Christ, to the church, the believers in Colossae. And yet all of a sudden now he comes in in the end of chapter 3, he narrows that in. And he starts talking about specific people groups. Now, here's what ends up happening. This is just reality for all of us. When things get narrowed in on us, we have a tendency to deny it, divert it, dodge it, or blame shift it. And I say that because not only do we do that, but Adam and Eve did that. So did Jonah. So did King David. So did Peter. Peter. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. That's like narrowed in, isn't it? He's like, no way, man, no way. Oh, no way. Okay? So here's the deal. Because Paul narrows in in our text, and ladies, you're up first, but men, get this, you're on deck. Okay, you're on deck. I think it's good that we be rightly prepared on how to think about it and how to be prepared to hear from God and what he has to say. That's why I want us to read Matthew 7 here. Let me go to the beginning of Matthew 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking. If you have a Bible that has Jesus' words in red letter, this is all red letters all over it. Jesus is speaking. Chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says to the crowd, "'Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged.'" And listen to this. "'And with the measure you used.'" it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother or sister's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a big gigantic log beam in your own eye? Jesus gets really serious here. You hypocrite. Yay. You hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here's the word that the Lord has for us as we dig into God's word. We're more serious about ourselves before the Lord than we are about the person sitting next to us. That's what this is saying. And may I remind us as we dive in to start going into these next four weeks of kind of going at these categories of people that how we measure others, it says you will be measured. How how, how critical we are of another. That's how critical God is going to measure us. That's the principle there. And so the point of this is we have a tendency to kind of go, well, I'm less of the percent of the problem than the other person. I'm 30% of the problem. He's 70% of the problem. I'm 30% of the problem. She's 70% of the problem. Here's the deal. Be 100% about your percent. That's what Jesus is saying here. If it's 1%, you be 100% about what you need to change in your life. Okay? Loving driving us so we don't deny, divert, dodge, or blame shift. Let's have sensitive hearts. Lord, in these four weeks, you have something to say to all of us in this. Let me pray. Lord, I pray as we dig in to your word that we would have that kind of a heart,
1: learner's spirit, hearts that want to hear from you,
0: Lord, I pray for the ladies in the room today, for the young women in the room today. I pray that they would put on the humility and meekness that we've talked about in Colossians and that they would hear from you. God, all ladies, all women, that that would be the case because uh, where we're coming at Colossians is talking about wives, but it's really bigger than that. It's really talking to all women. I pray that they would have sensitive hearts to examine themselves before you. God, I pray for the men today. We're on deck. We're coming next Sunday. But even today, Lord, I just pray that the men in this room would hear the call that you have for women and that this, this really awesome call that you have for the ladies that would cause us to ask the questions of how are we helping our wives? How are we helping women to be what you've asked them to be? How are we holding them back from doing that? How can we encourage them and cheer them on towards
1: walking in you? Lord, thank you so much for our sisters in Christ.
0: May we love on them today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Bibles to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three. Okay, we're page 984. Moms right now, aren't you just encouraged? You know, hey, listen, all together, all together, right? Love you guys. Love you guys, seriously. So we're in Colossians chapter 3, page 984. There's four sections we've covered so far in Colossians. The the first section in Colossians, uh, we've talked about verses 1 through 4, you have a new identity, a new position, a new orientation in Jesus Christ. Uh, That's the marvelous, marvelous truth. The second section we talked about begins in verse 5. It talks about put off. It says, put sin to death. We approach sin when in temptation, we think about sin with a, a warrior-like tenacity to, to put it away, to, to run from it. Uh, verses 5 and verses 8 list these two categories of examples of areas, the sensual areas of temptation, as well as social relational areas with anger, wrath, and malice and such. Then three, section three was last Sunday. we were talking about putting on then, verse 12. Uh, this is what God's people, it's like we don't just put away sin and leave it at that. As I talked last week, get some clothes on, man. It's like, don't just be about take off, take off, take off, but put on, put on and, and replace with Christ likeness in us. And, and that's what that next section, we're in the final section, starting in verse 18. Now I'm going to read this final section through verse one, and then we're going to dive into verse 18. I'm going to read a couple words that probably aren't in your translation on purpose uh, as we move through here. So follow along with me, wives. Hupotasso to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, agape your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exact I'm sorry exasperate as in Ephesians six Fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do do Now, before we go to verse 18, before we camp there today... Uh, Paul's doing this final section. And as I've mentioned, he's narrowing in. Can you see how oh, he's narrowing in on various people groups here? Uh, this is in context of things. I don't want to move into conference mode, by the way, as I go through these next four weeks. I want to keep it in the context of what Paul has been talking about because we're not jumping out of what the whole conversation so far has been. He's continuing from chapters one, two, and three. He's continuing the your new identity and christ new position in christ that means a new orientation in christ and that looks like putting off and putting on he's continuing out of that and now he's applying all of that to each of these groups with specificity and he notes these four groups or four sundays as we're going to kind of cover them and here's what i think is important to understand with each of these people groups he is associating one or two characteristics that should be a central characteristic of that group of persons It's not the only thing, but it's a central thing. And I want to note this as well, that these central things that he's noting, these are ones that we have the hardest time doing, by the way. God so gets us. I mean, when he says, okay, here's how you do it. Uh, Think rightly, put off, put on. Now let's talk about some kinds of groups of people and what that looks like. So what does God do? God pulls out the kinds of things that we struggle with. And that's what's happening here. So so that's what's going on behind this. And so with Christ following wives, it's live hupotasuing with your husbands. Truth of the matter, that's a struggle. Husbands, live agapeing your wives. Don't be harsh. That's often a struggle for men. Kids, obey your parents and everything. That's often a struggle, isn't it? Kids are too scared to say anything. Parents, dads especially, don't provoke your kids. Man, yeah, yeah, that's a word. Employees, do what you're asked to do sincerely and do it unto the Lord. Is that not hard to do a lot of times? And by the way, employers, be just and fair even when employees use you. It's hard to do that sometimes. Got the picture? I'm hoping that's going to help us You're understanding what's going on. So ladies, you're up today. Here we go. Here's what I'm going to ask of you. We're in verse 18. I want, ladies, I want for all of you to read. It's just short. Read verse 18 out loud, okay? Whatever version it is, it's Okay. We'll, we'll sound uh, awesome together. They're not that different. Here we go. Ladies, verse 18. One, two, three, read. I submit to your husband awesome. That was awesome. Let's do it one more time. One, two, three, go. I submit to your husband okay. Are you all like, oh, dude, Mother's Day? Is, is, and I'm like, that's! it's what hit. <laughs> okay, we don't jump over these things. But here, here's, here's my point of this. When you read that, ladies, honestly, don't you read that and kind of get a little uncomfortable? <laughs> You're leaving me alone? <laughs> I do for you. Don't you read that and get a little uncomfortable? It's kind of like, holy moly, Really? So I'm supposed to be a puppy dog. So I have no like input. Is that what this is saying? Well, we'll find out. It's important that we acknowledge it, number one. Secondly, what we do is we go to Scripture to understand Scripture. Scripture does not contradict itself. It is a whole unit. So we're going to go to Scripture. This is where we're going to spend the most of the rest of our time doing this. We're going to go to Scripture, and then in the end, we're going to go, okay, so that's what it's talking about. Uh, I want to yield to the Lord in that. Okay, so here we go. We've acknowledged it. This is kind of weird. There's a little sense of uncomfort, especially in our culture, on this terminology. Let's understand scripture, and we're going to do that two ways. Number one, we're going to understand scripture by understanding its terminology. So let's understand the terminology of verse 17. What does wives, hupotasso, that's the Greek word, hupotasso to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, what does that mean? Okay, here we go. Number one, hupotasso. This is really important. It is a verb, not a noun. It is a verb, not a noun. That's very important because a noun oftentimes tells of a title, tells of a position, states a a, a, a kind of, you got the idea, kind of a, that's who I am. That's a noun. This is a verb. This is an action. This is something to be doing. By the way, may I remind you, ladies, Colossians chapter three, verses one through four says you have a new identity in Christ if you know Christ as your savior. Your identity is raised with Christ, just like all the men who know Christ. Your position is where Christ is, verse 1, chapter 3, just like all the men who know Christ. And your orientation is to seek, is to to set your mind on things above, just like all the men in this room. So this is not a setting, a position, a title. This is not a word of your identity. This is a characteristic trait, action that is supposed to be happening. By the way, it's a verb that's an imperative verb. It's not saying, I wish you would do this. It would really be nice. Hey, if you feel like it today, you can do it. It is an imperative verb. That means it's a command. Just ladies, be encouraged by this. The next verse is a command imperative to the men as well. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. It is a call. It is a command to live and to do a certain tour, a certain action towards someone. The next form of the word, I'm sorry for bringing the Greek in, but I just want for you to know that I think it's important in this context, in this subject, to understand there's more than just what I wish was happening. The, the form of the to your husband, that's a dative form. That means that the verb is directed to that. That's why it says to your husband. So we're to be, you're to be tupotassoing. It's an action. It's also in a present tense form. That means it's not something you did a long time ago or something you'll do in the future. It's present tense. That means it's something that you're supposed to be doing presently, ongoing, all the time. This is an attribute, a characteristic that should be central in your life. That's what is happening here. By the way, the word is used in Ephesians 5.21 where it says all believers are to hupotasso one another. Titus 3.1 says all believers are to hupotasso with all human authorities. Titus 2.9 says young men, you are to hupotasso to older men. Scripture in James 4.7 says that all believers are to hupotasso to the Lord. And also, Ephesians 5.22, Titus 2.5, and 1 Peter 3.1 says also, wives, hupotasso to your husbands. I bring that last part up because of this. It's not a manuscript translation error. It's said multiple times. Uh, But also, please know this, hupotassoing should be everywhere. Ephesians 5.22, all believers in Christ, hupotasso. To one another. There's a whole lot of hoopotassoing that should be going on with God's people. Hey, men in Christ, are you a hupotasuing kind of a person? Kids, teens, are you a hupotasuing kind of a teen? Women, are you a hupotasuing kind of woman? Doug, I don't know because you're using this blasted hoopotasso word. yeah i know i know so what does the term mean well it's a verb it's an imperative it's present tense everybody's to be doing hupotassoing scripture says that our english translations for hupotasso use the words to submit to or i think the new american standard has to be subject to the term has the idea of the act of regarding another as of first importance. It's to do, it's to act, it's to speak. Viewing another as a prior priority importance. It's to do, it's to act, it's to speak for another's benefit. In understanding their situation. It's not me first living, hupotasso is you first. That's what it is. That's all it is. What if we read that going, wives, live you first to your husbands. I can be maybe a little less all weirded by that. But, but I'm telling you, friends, that's what the word means. It has this idea of, uh, of you first. It, it means to yield. Think of it, you're coming on the highway. There's a yield sign there. What does that mean? When you're coming on the highway, there's other cars coming, and it literally, it means, no, you first. You first and then, I'll come on in. It, that's, that's what the idea is. It's not, who gives a rip? Whoa! That's me first living. You first living is this idea of you first Lord. You first other followers of Christ. You first human authorities as long as you're not outside of what God calls us to do. It's you first honey. You know we love it when our kids do you first don't we? We love it when others live you first to us. There's already been a whole lot of hoopoe going on in here today. Uh, I mean, and, and all over today, at breakfast. There's probably you first going on for breakfast today when someone was preparing meal or getting things around or getting dressed or who got in the shower first or who did, got dressed first whether the kids did you. There's all kinds of you first going on in the day this morning. There's probably you first taking place with some people where it's like, you know what, let me, let me pull up and open the door and, and drop you first. Or are you first coming in the door, you walk into the door and it's like, you open the door, you first. Then you come in, you're getting a coffee and someone else is there and you're like, oh man, I need a fix. But you first, when you come in here in the auditorium, you sit down, and if you're coming with a family or some other people, they're right there, and you're about to walk in, and sometimes you stand back, and you just go, you go, you go ahead first. That's what this means. That's the idea behind it. And I'm not trying to reorient the word definition make me happier or to satisfy you because of the cultural baggage behind the word submit. I'm literally trying to understand what does scripture mean by the word hupotasso. And it should be going on all over the place, everywhere we go. Listen, even Jesus Christ hupotassoed a lot. A couple verses, Luke 2.51, as a boy, he yielded to his earthly parents. By the way, can you fathom that? In light of Colossians chapter 1, he created all things. All things are held together by him, for him. And he created his parents. And he's yielding to his parents. Listen to this other verse. This is huge. John 14, 31. Jesus says, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Trinity equal persons, yet unique roles. He says, I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Why did Jesus, in, 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 his, in, in his actions, hupotasso himself before the Father, the second person of the Trinity before the first person? Why did he do that? So that others would know who I love. Oh my word, does that not like come right into what? Think about that, ladies, in marriage. You have a living testimony opportunity to live exactly
1: that in your marriage.
0: Luke 22, 42, Gethsemane. Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup.
1: Not my will, but you first. So with some of that understanding of the terminology of the word, might
0: you be asking yourself, with all believers being called to do this in life, to yield themselves in various relationship, with Jesus Christ having been one who was one who yielded himself in, in, in relationships, why do the daggers come out when Scripture calls a
1: wife to yield to her husband? Why? I mean, might we be thinking, my goodness, what's so bad
0: about a wife living, honey, you first? What's demeaning about a wife yielding herself to what's best for her life teammate? I think we all understand why. But I hope today you rethink what's really going on and what scripture is saying. I would add it's because we react to the terminology of scripture without rightly understanding the terminology of scripture. We react to words, not to the reality. I think it's also because there has been a wife-husband, husband-wife, yielding battle since the near beginning of time. Go to Genesis chapter 1. That's like on page 1. Genesis chapter 1. I want to take some time here to go to a couple passages. We're going to go to Genesis, Proverbs 31, and I want for us just to see some background, the entirety of Scripture representing that. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Look at verse 27. It says, uh, so God created mankind in his own image. That word for man there, it's talking about the whole of mankind. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God blessed Adam. Is that what it says? No. And God blessed them. This is really important. God blessed them. That means God blessed Adam and Eve. God blessed them and God said to them, that means Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you plural, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was like really, really, really good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. A couple points. God created Adam and Eve. Who created Adam and Eve? God did. Adam and Eve did not create themselves. Whoever creates has dibs. It's true. Whoever creates has dibs. You understand every nook and cranny. In my background, I'd been involved in developing some medical devices. I knew every nook and cranny. I knew every notch, every screw, every wire, every movement, every little detail. I knew it because I put it in that. And every little thing had a very specific purpose. And some things weren't in that device because I knew why they didn't need to be in that device. Whoever creates something has dibs on it. And God created Adam and Eve. That's really important. And by the way, he created them, if you will, as the royalty of all creation. They weren't just like, oh, whoa, that happened. Listen, Adam and Eve were the royalty over all of creation in his process of it. They're the icing on the cake of it. They're made in his image. They're made male and female by him. Um, and, And in the reality of it, God gave them a mission. We don't see a mission for a tree. We don't see a mission for an animal like this. But they are given a unique mission. They are. Adam and Eve as a team are. And they're given this mission. Let's go to chapter 2. Verse 18, chapter 2 narrows in more on this whole creation process. Chapter 1 is the big picture. Chapter 2 and 3 get into the details. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Here's talking about Adam. I will make him a helper. I will make a helper fit for him. Listen. When God creates, God creates in a certain way on purpose. And God's creation happens in the kind of a way that the way God creates teaches us some things. And so here's Adam walking around. We'll see here in just a second. He's naming the animals. Okay, you're a bear and you're a lion, because we know Adam spoke English. And you know, you're this and you're this. And he's looking around, he's like, they bears got bears, and lions got lionettes. Where's my sweetheart, man? And God looks at this, and God wasn't like, oh, crud, I made a mistake. God's teaching in this. He's like letting Adam experience this as well. And so Adam's like name and all this stuff. Let's keep reading verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see that he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names, all the livestock, the birds, the heavens, beasts, so forth. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, not his feet, not a bone, out of his cranium, out of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. God does things for a purpose to teach us and to show us. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woe man. And look at this. I love this. And brought her to him. You got that picture? It's like Adam's like, bear, bear, rat, lion, lion, (laughs) I don't have nobody. And then he's like, boom, puts him out, grabs a rib out, and does... God creation thing and then God brings Eve bump it up is that not a cool picture Adam happy birthday buddy and look at how Adam responds and the man said this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh he gets it He's not talking about, now I've got someone to rule. He's like a partner. This is exactly what I want. Oh, God, you're awesome, and she's... You got it? Uh, She shall be called woe man, woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked, not ashamed. Are you getting the picture? This is a side-by-side team given a mission. A side-by-side, God-designed team with a God-given mission. How sweet is all this? Genesis 1, Adam and Eve are created equally. Genesis 2, Adam and Eve are created uniquely. They both go together. Equal and unique. Unique. And praise God for it. It's a team. It's a team. Genesis chapter 3. Got to keep moving. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. This is Satan that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Way to go, girl. I'm really serious about that. She's tempted by Satan and she quotes back what God said. Bam! Way to go, Eve! Spot on! Here's my question Adam, where
1: are you, dude?
0: Verse 4 But the serpent said to the woman, Oh, no, 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 no. Listen, sweetheart, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, remember that word, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Guys, I got the picture. He was in the Lazy Boy watching ESPN. She shoves this fruit over. He goes, yeah, okay. <clears throat> Something like that. Dude, where are you ha- helping your wife here? By the way, do you see what happens when wife and husband do not act as a team? She needed him and he needed her. And when they don't act as a team together the way God designed them, and it's like Satan comes in and kind of comes right in between them. Man, this is war plan. And he separates one out and gets her in on the game, and then she gets him on the game. Listen, they're both at fault here. And the main reason is ultimately they weren't acting as the team. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were open, and they, and they knew that they were naked. And they so fid leagues together and made them of her loin claws. Why? Isn't that weird? We love to cover up our sin. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord of the, God, uh, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man. Now is this not the time, women? You're glad you're a woman. I'm very serious about this. Who does God go looking for first? Lazy boy, Adam. Adam, we got an issue. This is the time I want to be a woman. Okay? It's, it's public. <laughs> All right. I mean, God does things on purpose, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Oh, he knew where he was. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Then he said, "Uh, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of the life which commanded you? I commanded you not to eat. Listen, God uses questions to draw at the heart. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree during the middle of the football game. Oh, this is so men at times, isn't it, guys? Hey, really, who's Adam blaming? God. You gave me her. That's what's really going on here. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Well, thank dude. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, we're learning a pattern here. We're getting into this. They're a team. Husband's neck is first on the chopping block. Oh, do know this. So is the wife. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, blame shift. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Well, it's true. It's still an excuse. I need to jump down because of what we're doing here today. Verse 16, God then addresses both of them. He addresses Satan. Verse 16, he addresses the woman. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. Sorry, ladies. In pain you shall give forth children. Look at this. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Hang on for a second here. What does this mean? I just don't have the time to go into depth today. But it's this. I would call you to look over to chapter 4, verse 7. This is God is talking to Cain. God says to Cain, verse 7, if you do uh, do well, will you not ex- be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Here's the thing. The same Hebrew word, its desire is for you. So here's the question. What's going on in chapter 3, verse 16? I'm just going to sum it up for you here. Just as sin's desire is to have its way with Cain, God gives Eve up to a desire to have her way with Adam. And the hupotasso helper, you first model that God put into place is now bent towards living out the misery of a me first marriage. That's what's being said at the end of chapter 3 verse 16 there. Eve, sorry honey, but guess what? You are now going to live your days in a battle to try and be me first over your husband. And in that reality, because of sin, husbands will seek to rule their wives in an autocratic, unloving way. By the way, I wonder now why next week Colossians 3.19 says husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Because out of Genesis 3.16, because of sin, there will be a a, a norm in a husband to want to rule over his wife in an autocratic, unloving way. What's being said for these two weeks happened all the way back in the beginning. And we moved from a you-first reality... Where wives, uh, you first, and husbands out of love, you first, as we'll be talking about. Husbands betraying themselves is the idea. We've now moved into a yielding battle. It's my way. And married couples,
1: don't we know the game? Turn to Proverbs 31. We'll finish here. Pastor Nick read a good part of this. I just want to
0: read finishing with this because... uh, Colossians 3.16. All of this is to help us understand Colossians 3.18 and what's happening there. I've tried to take you through understanding the terminology of the word. I've taken you to Genesis to try and understand the whole entirety of Scripture, going all the way back to the beginning. Now I want to bring us to Proverbs 31. We'll finish here, essentially, as a Scripture passage. But just bringing all of this together to try and understand what's being said in 3.18 in Colossians. Let me pick up. By the way, Colossians, or Proverbs 31, you can see in verse 1, it's King Lemuel telling this to his son. This is something he essentially got from his mother. Uh, The form of this that we're going to be reading from verse 10 to the end, uh, this is not really a specific woman. This is describing a kind of woman. And, and, And actually, this is poetic. Each verse is the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay? So essentially, King Lemuel is saying, Hey, son... You want to marry what we will see an excellent wife? You want to find an excellent wife? Look at this kind of girl. This is the kind of girl. By the way, that means single women, teen women. You want to become this kind of a woman. Because this is the kind of a woman that single followers of Christ should be looking for. Here we go, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find... She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm. All the days of her life, she seeks wool and flax, works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Look at this. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Hey, son, marry this kind of a woman. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates and when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Uh, Son, marry this kind of a woman. She looks well in the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And her husband also, he praises her, by the way, men. Many women have done excellently, but man, this gal surpasses them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of your hands. Let her words praise her in the gates. Hey, do you in any way get the idea that the Proverbs 31, who who, by the way is depicted as an excellent wife, is some weak-willed, depressed, unequal, inferior, powerless, subjugated wallflower that is shut down and only speaks when spoken to and weak and wimpy? This
1: would be a great time to go not. You don't see that anywhere with this woman. And those kinds of things that I
0: just mentioned do not depict a hoopo-tossing kind of a woman who has her identity in Christ and her position in Christ and oriented to bringing
1: glory to Christ. Instead, we see in Proverbs 31. We see a trusted woman. We see
0: a woman that brings good, who works hard, who loves her family big time. We see a woman cutting business deals, caring for the hurting, not afraid because of the work she has done and not being idle. We see her speaking well of her husband we see her loved and adored by her children and her husband, and he tells her so and they tell her so. We see a strong, confident, purpose, tassoing wife that loves the Lord and the community knows it. And in it all, she is living tasso to her husband, not trying to beat her chest, look at me, look at an awesome woman that I am. She's humble and meek and kind. Oh my word, that's what was said in Colossians 3 to put on. Meek, power in control. This is a woman, single man, look for this kind of woman. Single women grow to be this kind of a woman. And by the way, this kind of a woman is the exact same kind of a woman that Colossians 3.18 is talking about. Wives,
1: live you first with your husbands. Are you? Are you? Or have you
0: fallen into the commonly known ever since the beginning reality of it's all about me. Don't worry, ladies. The guys are up next week. By the way, 1 Peter 3, a hupotasuing his wife is not conditioned on whether her husband is a Christ follower or not. A hupotasuing kind of a wife is not even conditioned upon whether her husband is walking as the Lord would want him to. It is to be a trait for you before the Lord that was just like Jesus Christ
1: who stepped out of the power of heaven and gave up his life. Ladies,
0: this is a call to be like Jesus in that. The address is to wives. The exhortation is to live yielding, to live you first, to voluntary attitude and action, to be, have a manner of life on how you think and you do life with your husband. By the way, it's not first and foremost about decision-making. That's like one part of life of thousands. Us yes, Americans take this context right to decision-making. And the motivation, by the way, as we wrap it, is as to the Lord or out of reverence for Christ. And this clause on the end of verse 18 of Colossians 3 is so important because it's telling you ladies why you do this the motivation for this because this hupotaswing yielding is the perfect life theme it's the perfect life narrative for you don't you want to be known as the kind of a woman like proverbs 31 who is all of that and yet is not seeking to crown herself or to have her way but to have the lord's way In every area of her life. That's the kind of life narrative you want to have as a woman. Yielding to Jesus Christ. And how you yield to Jesus Christ is mirrored in how you yield to your husband, by the way. Doug, are you saying he's the Lord? Goodness gracious, no. Next week. But it's a mirror. It's an image of. Ladies, I started out by saying Paul gets narrowed in and he pulls out areas of life that should be central characteristic of each of us. And in all of those central areas, it's also he pulls out key ones
1: that are really hard to do. And I want to encourage you and I want to implore you
0: to be this kind of a woman hupotasling kind of a woman the Lord takes glory in that that's just like how Jesus Christ lived live like that be that maybe today you need to seek some repentance before the Lord on not being this way that's fine put off put on put off me first put on you first we're behind you ladies we love you we admire you this is a hard call But what God has called us to do, God has fully equipped us to do. And men, I trust that you are listening with intent ears and you are going, Oh my, they've been given a task. How can I help? What do I need to do to make it easier for them to be all that God has called them? Lord, I thank you for a time. I thank you for this subject. In our culture, it's a hard subject. And I've taken a long time today because of great part because the subject just has so much tension behind it. But ultimately, Lord, as we talked, we first acknowledge it and then we study your word. And lastly here, where we're really at, we now need to seek to yield to what you say. And so, God, I pray for the women in this room today. Thank you for them. Oh, my. What a blessing. What a delight they are. Thank you for you having created them by your will, by your design. God, thank you for marriage. That It's a team thing. It's a team with a mission. Thank you for the equality and yet the u- u- uniqueness that takes place between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman. And Lord, we pray over the women in this room today. Oh God, would you just love on them, encourage them to know, as James chapter 1 says, when we do what's right, when we do what you ask us to do, that you bless. Oh God, I pray that you would encourage, lift our women up to understand more what it means to be a, the kind of woman that is honoring the Lord. More of that in our women, Lord, more of that. And God, I pray for us men, that we would be men ready for next week to hear what you have to say and what that means. And and then, Lord, we would be thinking, how are we helping the women? How are we helping our wives? To make it easier for them, to make it a joy for them to do that. It's all about your word. It's all about you, Lord. And we give you the praise and the glory.
1: In the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen.